I know there's a lot of people who are kind of new to law school in general. So deferred payment program is a, is sort of a special program that we're running, but you may not even know what law school is. So we'll take a little bit of setup time to talk about that, how we think about law school and education and learning to code and, and all of that. And what I, how, how law school is uh, perhaps different. And then we'll get into very specifics of uh, deferred payment program questions. And obviously if any of you have questions about that, feel free to drop it into the Q and A widget. So yeah, with that, let's go. So the first question I have is what to you makes law school unique? Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll get right into it. What makes law school unique? Well, I think a lot of things, but obviously it's our focus on mastery-based learning. So for everybody on the call, or even if you're watching this recording later is make sure to read our website. I, and I, and I think this is one of those things where like, we don't do any hard sales. And part of the reason is because we don't, we don't charge like 20 grand or 10 grand upfront. So there's no incentive for us to like, try to really get you to sign up and you can leave anytime. So we want you to understand what we do, how we teach and have a way for you to come. And if you don't like it, you can leave very quickly. That that's totally okay by us. And we, we really don't want you to do a hard sales process, get you to write a big check and then haha, that that's just not, that that's not what we do. So for that, per, for that reason, we also don't have a, like a rigorous sales process. So our website is very, just plain language, no, or very little marketing speak. Most of it is just written in a very straightforward way. So you can understand what you're doing, what you're signing up for. So the thing that makes us unique is really master-based learning. We espouse a way of learning that Logically, I think it makes a lot of sense, but it's just different. No one else does this. And what we say is you just take time to learn a concept before you move forward. That's the nutshell. And you might say, well, that sounds pretty obvious, but we're quite fanatical about it. So if you, you go to another program and they say the same thing, I don't think they implement it the same way that we do. So the way that we implement it is very, very much sort of built our entire program and our entire company around that. We've been doing it for about six years now. And we've been teaching the code, teaching people to code for the last nine years, since 2012. For the past five or six years of that, we've been doing this master-based learning. And then I think another thing that makes Launch School unique is really our community. So because of our, the way we teach, which is very rigorous, bottom-up, very opinionated, obviously. So that's why we say we're not for everybody. But if this way of learning resonates with you, you'll find a community of people that's just unlike any other community out there. Very, very serious about studying, very, very particular about details and precision of language. And everybody is like that at law school. So either you have to uh, sort of learn to be more like that, or again, from our perspective, it's okay if you're, you, you find another community to learn with. We're definitely not the only way. But, but if you are of that mind, then you will find a wonderful community here focused on learning things well, learning things deeply and, and caring about the details and taking time to establish fundamentals. So I think that those, those things probably make, make Launchable kind of unique, different from anything else. What's the youngest age you guys have had participate in Launch School? The youngest age, wow. So we have a 14-year-old in our program right now and I had to have pretty long calls with this person's parents just to make sure that they know what they're signing up for. Obviously that's rare. And that, that situation was the dad went through our program, liked it so much, has a eighth grader that is just very precocious and into programming and decided to do our program. That eighth grader is in the second half of the program now and he's doing well. So I, I, I don't know what's gonna, what he's gonna do with that knowledge, but it's gonna be amazing. And, but I would say besides that in sort of singular instance, we've had a handful of people in that 18, 19 range, had a couple of them finish capstone even, and they, they're like 19, 20 years old. Cause our program takes years to finish like at least a year, at least, if not more than a year. So they may come in at 18, 19, by the time we finish in 19, 20, and they're, they're making six figures. And I, and that's that, that type of thing. Yeah, I'm not a huge, like you should skip college to go learn a code type of person, not always, but in their particular instance, I think it worked great because when they talk to their high school classmates, their high school classmates are getting jobs that pay half of what they make, right? And they've been making it for like three years <laughs> or two years, or two or three years, right? Depending on when they finish uh, college. But but then their high school classmates will always say, well, look, I have a college degree and you don't. So in the long run, I'll catch up and maybe surpass that. So 
what, what, what these folks are doing. Uh, that went to law school at a young age, skipping college. They do online college while they're making six figures. And that's just, that's just amazing to me. When I, when I finished high school, it was not in my mind to do anything but go to college. So it was, it was just now there is possible other paths. And, and that's just quite amazing to see. I'm super excited that law school can be part of that path. But yeah. Oldest, Chris. Oldest. Well, yeah. I mean, into the 60s, we've had, we have a handful of folk, folks like that right now. I, I mean, I don't ask people ages until they, t- unless they tell me, right? Except for the, for the under 18 year old where, where we have to talk to their parent to make sure they know what they're doing. But yeah, I think I don't recall anybody in their 70s and above, but we could and they just don't say anything. But yeah, so this is such a crazy range, isn't it? <laughs> so like 14, 18, 60 plus, and that I, whenever I see this, and also people with different experiences, right? We have a lot of bootcamp grads, we have computer science degrees, we have people with no programming background, teenagers, retirees. How do you build a curriculum that can cater to everybody? How, how is that possible? It's not, it's not possible. This is why master-based learning, like that's, I mean, from my perspective, I'm biased, is like the only way. Otherwise you have a curriculum, it's just not gonna be, not gonna fit, not gonna fit, fit one person, not fit another person. So you see a lot of people online sort of complaining about their coding school, about their universities. And I think part of the reason is because they went in and it's not a good fit for them and then they can't leave. I mean, that's write a big check over and you just can't leave or you're on the hook for a big, uh, a big amount, five figures, right? So at law school, I think we're just not like that. We're just like, it's, most programs are kind of like easy to sign up, hard to leave. We're like the opposite. We're hard to sign up, easy to leave, right? So you can spend a lot of time just getting into law school to pay even that one ninety nine a month. And then you find out you don't like it. You, you can self-cancel immediately. So we have a, a handful of questions right now about age. Some folks are in their 40s. Some folks are in their 50s. And they're one, I guess... They're wanting to know, they're doubting themselves, maybe thinking that they're too old. And there's one specific question about have anyone, has anyone my age, 55, actually gone through Capstone Project and gotten a job? So it sounds like there's some concerns about ageism in the workforce. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a legitimate concern. And I hear this all the time. And I've been hearing it for since we started teaching nine years ago. So I've been hearing this nonstop for, for a while. I do think it's a legitimate concern, but I don't think it's a concern that's unique to tech. So I, I'm not going to say, hey, look, th- this ageism thing doesn't exist. It, I think it does. But the thing about tech is this. It permeates everything. There's, there's more opportunities than gatekeepers. There's more opportunities than gatekeepers. So don't let one or two bad experiences whether it's first person or whether you read it online, don't let that stop you. There's going to be a place for you. There's going to be a place for you no matter what. And it, we, we have had people in their 40s and 50s participate in launch school, obviously, core, also in capstone. So yes, we have. Are there really that many good jobs? Yes, there are really that many good jobs. Yes, absolutely. Launch school wouldn't be in business if there wasn't. And no matter what age you are, there are a lot of opportunities ahead. And my advice to people in their 40s and 50s is the same as if you were in their 20s. Take time to establish yourself. When I say take time, I mean take like a year or two, not a month or two. Even if you're 50, I mean, you can, I know programmers who are in their 60s and, and Cody. I mean, you still got a 15, 20 year career ahead of you if you want, if you want it. And do you want to spend that 15, 20 year career in a, in a place that you enjoy with being respected, feeling like you're in control and have competency, it's still a long time. So I still think our whole mantra here is take a little bit longer relative to coding boot camps. Take a little bit longer relative to a few months because the payoff is in the long run. And, and maybe the question is like, hey, I'm older, so is that still valid? Well, this isn't like professional sports where by 40, you're on the decline or something like that. I also see we, and, and at Logical specifically, right, we have a lot of career transitioners. And what I see is when, as tech and software engineering starts to spread to all these different industries, actually your professionalism and experience from other industries is helpful. Unless you're just, you did something like totally um, different, but even still, I think that that extra experience, I think is a, is a positive, not a negative, or it can be a positive. So if you, 
go interview at like a three-person startup, they all expect you to work 16-hour days and go to war with them. And maybe you don't want to do that because you have family and just don't want to do it anymore. That's okay. You don't have to work for them. There's so many opportunities out there that, that you don't have to target those types of jobs. Still have to be good. I think that the key is still have to be good, no matter what age you are or whatever, whatever your situation is, right? Still have to be good. That's the key. So, so Chris, I know we kind of diverted a bit, but can we dive a little bit back into, we have a few more questions about launch school. Why should someone participate in launch school? Why should someone participate? Like I said before, I don't, I don't think we try to hard sell anybody. I think that's a personal decision, but I, I, I just can say what we're about. We're about studying. We're about studying well. We're about understanding things, understanding every line of code that we write. That's what we're about. We don't want to write one line of code that we can't fully comprehend. If that's what you want, then you're in the right place. And that's what our entire community centers around. It, it's and and why would you want to do this? Well, for my personal life. So I've been in the field for a long time. I graduated in 2002, so going on 20 years now, which is crazy. Like I'm not I'm not a marketing person who decided to start a coding boot camp. I did not enter this field to teach people anything or to start a school. I'm a software engineer. Even when I meet strangers in the street, I'm like, I'm a programmer. I'm a software engineer. That's what I tell people. Because at the core, that's my identity. So I think it's just, it, it's it's about like, whether or not you want that, right? You want sort of a long-term career in software engineering. If you say like, there's a lot of people like, I want to build an idea. I just, I have an idea. I want to build it. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's when we're not a good fit, right? Because we're going to ask you to like learn every detail. That's where maybe a coding bootcamp actually might be better, frankly, because that's sort of like just going really fast. So I think, yeah, logical can work if, if you're of that mindset. If not, then, then not, and that's okay. And then we have one more question. Launch School talks about going slower and with mastery, but is, it, is that really worth it? Can you talk about how or when it can be worth it and when it might not be worth it? Yeah, so obviously when it's the longer horizon, time horizon you have, that you think you have with regards to a career in software engineering, I think the more it'd be worth it. It it can start to not be worth it if you have some short-term goals that you have to hit that you can't sacrifice on. So a launch goal, we ask you to sacrifice short-term for long-term goals. It, again, if you, and I think this is like just life, right? Like you're always, you always have short-term issues and then you're, you have long-term goals. And I think there's always like sacrificing short-term issues to, to fulfill those long-term goals. You're, everyone's always doing that or not. So the longer time horizon you see yourself in this field, the more I think it makes sense to uh, study and to know what you're doing, which is basically what our focus is. Yeah, so, but for sure that like you, that's not you, right? And you have this deadline in a month or two, then obviously we're not, we're not gonna work out. So in the Q and A right now we have, is the deferred payment program typically reserved for people who can study at launch school full time? No, I don't, I don't think that's the goal. The goal of the deferred payment program was to just make sure that more people can participate in what we have. We've been doing this for a long time and it's, it's something that we want to expand to, to more people. And one of the major impediments to participating a lot of times is even though we think 199 a month is, is pretty low, for, at least for those of us in the US, right? For the most part, or fair, at least, it's still impediment to a lot of people. So the goal is to try to expand that, what we have to more people, not necessarily you have to do it full time. However, there is a duration limit. And I know there's that tension of like, well, you say, hey, take your time, but then you're going to put a time limit on it. Yeah. So it, it, it can't be like 10 years. So we put two years. So we want you to finish core curriculum in two years if you're going to participate in a deferred payment program based on sort of the data we have is like we think that's a fair amount of time as long as you're working consistently. So you can be you can be part time. Just try to we want you to finish in two years. Is the deferred payment only for capstone participants or all launch school students? The deferred payment program is for anybody who there's an application process you have to get applied. It's for U.S. residents, and the goal is that you will be admitted into capstone from our perspective, unless you really don't do well in the core curriculum. So. If you're admitted into the deferred payment program, it is our way of saying, we think everything's on track for you. You look really good. You've been doing well. We think you can do really well in core. And this is our sort of verification that you're on track. And as long as you're on track, you're going to get accepted into, uh, into the capstone program. So the goal of the deferred payment program is for you to do both core and capstone. So if you, if you say, I don't want to do capstone, then, then I don't think the deferred payment program is necessary. So with this question, is there a loan that we can take with launch school and pay it all back at the end? I'm sorry, is there a what? Is there a loan 
that we can take? A loan that you can take, yeah. So the deferred payment program is is that, is deferred payment, but we don't have the ability to like do more, like give you, like be a bank. We do that for capstone sometimes in situations because for capstones, when you have to go full-time. So core, so if two parts are too logical, two parts are logical. The first part is core, which is $1.99 a month. You can do that part-time. So the idea there is if you can't quit your job to work full-time, you can work part-time and hopefully that, that will help you go through that. Cause it requires mastery. If you, if you just quit your job and then do core full-time, you're going to feel pressure in a different way. You didn't solve the problem. It's either time pressure or financial pressure. It's, it's one of these two things. So you got to juggle that. And our proposal for you in core is stabilize that and focus on mastery. Capstone, the proposal there is different. It's uh, full-time synchronous for about four months. And the idea there is to say, look, you're so close. You finish core with, with high marks, which shows us that you're, you're ready for the job. And with just a little bit of burst, with a little bit of together in a team environment and work together for that three, four months, you can get that six-figure job. That's our belief. Our belief is that you, you or at least target around that six-figure job. You're, you're right there. So let's focus. Don't get a side job that pays minimum wage or something like that. It's not worth it because you're right there. You're just a few months away from a six-figure job. Don't get a part-time minimum wage job. So for Capstone, because you're right there and you've already proven yourself, we can give loans on top of the deferred payment, obviously. Okay, so but there's a there's some fees and stuff associated with it as well. It's not not just like a huge, huge check, but we can give loans up to $5,000 in Capstone. And we've done even done more than that in, in sort of exceptional situations. But for core, we don't give out loans. Thanks, Chris. And kind of while we're on that, I want to ask this question. This is from Monty regarding the Capstone program. I'm currently in the core program and enjoying it immensely. I also think I'll be a good fit for the Capstone program. However, has anyone been able to join Capstone while working full-time at the same time? No, we don't allow that. So you're in core now and you enjoy it, which is good. But if you want to participate in Capstone, you must quit your job. Yeah, that's, that's, just, that's just mandatory. And then upon graduation from Capstone program, how soon upon accepting a position is the full tuition due? And is it possible to pay installments? Oh yeah, everybody pays installments. Yeah, nobody, it's not It's not just like you have to write a check now. Yeah, so we'll work out with, with you, sort of a reasonable agreement. You, you see our average salaries come out of Capstone. We really don't have a repayment problem. So yeah, we'll figure out something reasonable. Usually people pay some somewhere between one to 2,000 a month and they finish the payoff in like a year, usually, yeah. But yeah, we'll work with you. And what is the percentage of core curriculum graduates who are actually accepted into Capstone program? Yeah, I get this question asked a lot. And I think Capstone looks to be like some sort of a super duper elite program with very, very low admissions rate because it, the results were so good. The thing is this, core is where the magic happens and passing assessments in core is hard. Finishing core is hard. So actually, if you finish core with pretty high grades, getting into Capstone is almost assured. I think admissions into Capstone is really, is like 70% or higher. And for the 30% that we have to reject, it's it's a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times it's just like weird situations. Right? Like, I don't understand what they're doing. They're like, I'm traveling the world and I'm going to be in Thailand and then I'm leaving Cambodia. And it's just like, well, how are you going to get a job? How are, you, how are employers going to interview you? Why don't you come back to the States and then we'll talk kind of thing. Or sometimes they're like behavioral issues, right? So for us in Capstone, like we want people that we want to work with, like kind of nice professional people. And if you're very few instances where people are kind of like argumentative and sometimes for behavior issues. So you're good technically, but we reserve the right to admit based on other factors too. But, but yeah, for the most part, if you do well and you are fairly easy person to get along with and professional and kind and generous and do well in core on the assessments, very, very high chance you're going to get into capstone. Very, very high chance you're going to get into capstone. And, and finishing capstone is hard for, and I, and I said that not only because the assessment is hard, but because it's not, this is not like college where like one minute you don't have a bachelor's and then the next second you have a bachelor's and therefore you're allowed to go get a job. Like people get jobs throughout core. Throughout core curriculum, people get jobs. You just get better and better and better. And these, these salary numbers that you see in Capstone, our, our average is over a hundred thousand. It's not that like you just 
finish and then you went from like being able to make zero to over a hundred thousand. So as you get better, more opportunities come up. If you if maybe you read that article I just wrote about avoiding the, the career trap, those, those lines, salary curves, I don't know if you remember that, but <laughs> those salary curves. So like, as you, as you develop skills, your opportunities will come your way. So a lot of people leave core, and this is also why it's hard for me to answer the graduation rate question, like how many people graduate from core? Well, we don't track that. Part of the reason is because sometimes people leave in the middle of core at the halfway point and say, hey, I got a great job. Love it. Thank you so much. That's a success in my book. I, I marked that down as a success for us. But is that graduated? No, because that person didn't finish core. Does that affect our admissions rate in the capstone? Like it, it's not anything, I don't think. I think it's just, it's a good, it's a great, great result. They got what they needed out of uh, us and we were able to help them and they were able to get a job that they want. It's a confusing part because it's not like normal education where you're like, you're going to go through this training program and that's it. And then you don't look for a job until you have to finish. Core is not like that. Core is very come and go as you please. Capstone is like that, right? Capstone, we're like, we're going to finish capstone. Nobody should be looking for a job in the middle of capstone. We're going to finish it and then we're going to look for a job. Did I answer the question? I feel like sometimes I'm just. No, you did. <laughs> saying a lot of words and hopefully it's the answer's in there somewhere. There's a, there's a follow-up question to that. Can we, can we get to know a bit more about assessments and code interviews in core curriculum? Sure. So assessments, they're, they're the real thing. So for me personally, I really dislike taking like a practice exam and then finding out the real exam is much harder. That really makes me mad because I'm like, if you just, if you just tell me where the bar is, I can work to meet it. I don't want to get blown away at, on the real thing. So our assessments are kind of like that. So one of the hardest assessments is actually our first assessment, not by design. Like we didn't want it to be the case, but it's a lot of fundamental knowledge and fundamental skills. And our very first assessment, 109, is sometimes you see that in real job interviews. That's how they interview you. So if you can pass our first assessment, you're like already kind of competitive in, in a real job interview. So the assessments and the way that we think about core also is we re revamp things all the time in core. It's a continuous living document for us. I've been doing it again for years and years now, five, six years now. That's why it's good because we continue to work on it. But where do we get requirements? For example, we beefed up our networking course last year. Why did we beef up our networking course? Like who told us to do that? And of course, when we beefed up the course, we had to update the assessment, make it a little bit more, more rigorous. Why do we do that? We get our requirements from the market and specifically core gets its, its requirements from capstone. So we have capstone people hitting the market all the time. What they see in these job interviews is how we update capstone. We say, oh, okay. Look at all these people run into. Like for example, in capstone, we added Golang. So capstone is now going to be in Golang from, from here forth. So if you do logical, you'll come from Ruby track, you'll know three languages, Ruby, JavaScript, Golang, if you do capstone. Coming from JavaScript track, you'll know two languages, JavaScript and Golang, if you're doing JavaScript track, and, and if you do capstone. Why do we add Golang into capstone? Because we see it a lot in interviews for the types of companies that we that our capstone people are interviewing at. We see it a lot. So it's kind of like interviews, drive requirements for capstone. Then when capstone feels unwieldy, it feels like there's too much there, we move it into core. So the networking update and core curriculum is exactly from that. It's a reaction from what we see on the market, what employers are asking our, our uh, graduates to, to do, to perform, to answer questions and co-challenge and things like that. Then we added it into capstone, which said, was that enough time? We just don't have enough time in capstone. It's four months, but it's still not enough time. So then we push that to core. Does that make sense? So like everything's like, there's a goal for this curriculum. It, this is unlike, let's say college, or if you take a random course online where you're just like, I'm going to learn about SQL. This is all like in sequence, even, and it pushes all the way back to prep. So those of you who've done prep, you see what we put in there. Why? Why do we put that in there? It's because we, we know you need that to get into, to, to do one-on-one and be successful in one-on-nine. Well, where did that come from? And it's just, it's a curriculum that's driving you somewhere. It's an intentional curriculum that has a purpose and a goal. There's a path to this curriculum. It's not just topical. So assessments, they're designed from that perspective. 
and it's and the requirement is how current employers, and again, we have a bias for these sort of like six figure employers, how they, how they interview, how, how they interview. So uh, 109, for example, we have a written exam and written exam is just essay oriented. So, so essay oriented and it's really, really written in paragraph form. And so they're all human graded. They're not like multiple choice or anything like that. And it's just, yeah, very hard because you have to explain the concepts in your own words. And then the second half of 109 is an interview and it's live one-on-one -on -one interview. So it's, they're very rigorous. And this is kind of like how real interviews would work. So if you have follow-up questions about the assessment process, let me know. But that's, that's how they're designed. We also have take-homes in, in that's the, the 109 has two pieces, the written and the interview, but then there's also other assessments that's like a take-home assignment, it's like a project. You take home, you have like two days to do it. And again, that's just modeled after the real interview process. Chris, we have a lot of questions about the different tracks between okay. JavaScript. So yeah. if you can tackle those. And then one of the questions is specifically the person that has some experience in Python. And yeah, so if you can just talk about the tracks, I think it'll answer a few of these questions on here. Sure. Yeah. So for Python, I think learning Ruby would be pretty easy. I think the language tracks ultimately is, I think it's, it's, it's about problem solving and it's about, I think much so things that are like much more lasting than syntax, in my opinion, but the main goals of launch goal is, is not necessarily to produce like Ruby developers or JavaScript developers. Like I, I, I don't think that's the goal at all. It's to produce people who can deconstruct problems, who are not afraid to learn new languages. Like Capstone graduates, for example, on the market, they constantly are getting jobs that are neither Ruby nor JavaScript. And this is the, one of the reasons why we introduced Golang into Capstone is because so many of our graduates are getting Golang jobs. Think about that. They didn't know Golang. They just learned Ruby or JavaScript. And then they would go off and get Golang jobs or Python jobs or PHP jobs. We have so many of those. Well, how, did, how does that work? How's that possible? And the idea is that you can pick up any of these higher level languages, so maybe not assembly, right? But these higher level languages, Java, Python, PHP, JavaScript, Ruby, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't make you afraid. That's the main goal I want logical graduates is to feel empowered and to say like, I'm working somewhere. Let's say you're working somewhere. Love the team, awesome salary, great project, everything's great. You're working in whatever language it is you're working, let's say JavaScript. New CTO comes in, says, okay, folks, we're switching to PHP. What is your feeling when that happens? Is your feeling like, okay, I guess I'll learn it because I like everything else. I don't want to move. I like the people around here. Or is your feeling like, oh no, I'm, I'm a JavaScript developer. I have to leave. I definitely don't want you to feel that. And my advice to everybody at Launch School and you here as well is not to have an identity for uh, a language. You can like it, but not have an identity for it. Just to be a software engineer, polyglot, of course you have to you know, learn a language to, to start, but don't, don't I, I would, my recommendation is don't view yourself as a Ruby developer or Python developer or JavaScript developer. So uh, to answer the question, sorry. Yeah, you can do either Ruby or JavaScript. As a Python developer, I mean, we've had lots. We've had lots of Python people in our program as well. So picking up Ruby, I think should be, would be very easy for you. And uh, yeah. I'm gonna just start going down the list now. I'm 18 years old and I'm taking a gap year and planning on doing law school. Would you guys recommend I still pursue a computer science degree upon completing this program? <laughs> so sometimes I get this, these like, what should I do in my life questions? And I'm just really, scared to answer questions that affect people's lives to this degree. You know what I mean? Like it's totally up to you, but we've had people do this and I think it's a good path, but know yourselves, get input from your families and friends who know you better. But I, I, I had a good time in college. I met my wife in college. So, I mean, I'm not one of those people like you have to skip college, but I think now more so than ever that it's a real possibility for ambitious people. In the past, I think it's like the more ambitious you were, the more likely you were going to go, go to college. I almost feel like now there's, there's another option. Launch goals, but one of these, one of these in the other option category, 
But yeah, certainly I've seen it firsthand from participants here at Launch School. One, one, of, one of our participants, young 18-year-old, had a scholarship to go to university to, to study computer science and didn't take that and did Launch School instead. I felt a lot of pressure because I thought, man, I, I cannot let this person down because they're, they're skipping that part of that, that college. Although I suppose it's not really skipping, you can always go back. That's, I think that's a good thing about Launch School. Like if you do it for a couple of months, you don't like it, you can always hop, hop back on to the to the college track. But but yeah, I think it's a viable path. And whether or not it's right for you, I think it's up to you. But that's what they're doing. They finished Capstone. They're very young and they're doing an online degree to get a computer science degree while making six figures. That's and just paying the tuition with their salary. That's just that's quite amazing. Just quite amazing to see. Um have you had someone work as a junior dev for a short while, like six months, then come into your program to fill in the gaps in their learning and go through Capstone. Yeah, we have a lot of working developers in our program, a lot. Not just six months, but six years. Just because you can be spending six years doing the same thing. So we have a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of students in our program with programmer or developer in their job title. Okay, I understand that you prefer students based in the US for the capstone program. However, as an American based in Europe, would my chances for selection, provided that my core curriculum work meets the criteria be diminished for that reason? Diminished, yes, but, but eliminated, no. So we, we actually have taken a lot of capstone folks in Canada, in Europe, especially London, because they, they've done so well in core. Salaries are just low in those places, lower, lower, lower than in the U.S. So you you have to decide if our fee is our capstone fee is is worth it. So I think if you do want core, like we have a very strong bias in capstone to work with good people. If you're willing to stay up all night, pay the capstone fee despite the slightly lower salary, I think we'd be willing to work with you. And we have we have done that many times in the past. So, but the key is do well in core. A lot of people ask about location, like hey, if I live here, if I do this, I think yeah, that's part of it, but. More importantly, like do well in core and be just somebody who I, we would want to work with. Like Capstone is very intimate. It's like, I know everybody on a first name basis in Capstone. So it's, it's yeah, I, I, I think location is, uh, is secondary to everything else. So that somewhat answers this. I might be moving overseas for a year or two, but we'll return to the U.S. Are there obstacles that, above that would prevent me from going through launch school while abroad? Are there obstacles that I know of? No, high-speed internet. I mean, it's just the normal, the normal obstacles. I, I think no matter where you live, it's the same set of obstacles. Being studious, being committed, having good internet, being st stable in your personal life. These are all. I mean, the more, the more you travel, the more you do changes in your life, the less that's likely. But know yourself. I, I talk to a lot of people, right? And there's. There's people that can just handle, they seem to be able to handle a lot of change in their lives. I'm not like that. And so when I talk to people like that, I'm like, hey, it's probably not going to work. And then they make it work. And so for them, it works. So I think, again, just know yourself. You got to know yourself. I know what it takes to be successful in our program. Dedication, studiousness, patience, the res respect for practice and respect for understanding details. So set yourself up for success for that. Thanks. And Alan says, thanks for hosting this call. I'm sure this varies, but for someone with a wife and two young children, what is the practical amount of hours to dedicate each day for studying and review? Yeah, this, uh, like, this is you, isn't it? This is not about me or launch school. It's about you. How long does it take you to learn something? If it takes more time, then let more time be. If it takes you less time, then you can move faster. Usually, like, if it takes you less time, it's not a big problem, <laughs> right? Just go... I think the, the problem is always, what if it takes longer than you expect? And I think this is a hard part about mastery base. If it was a regular course, if you're just like, yeah, it's going to take a month. And, but at the end, it's like, I don't know, you're gonna, what are you going to learn in a month? And then your questions will be different. It's like, what am I going to learn in a month? What can I get after this month of course, of taking this course? And what are your results? Oh, okay. 70% of your graduates get a job. What about the 30%? Am I going to be in that 30%? Who's your typical participant? So all your questions are like, just... It's the same anxiety, but you have different questions if it's like a timed course. In a mastery-based course, you have anxieties too. The, question, the questions reflect the anxiety. They're just different questions, but the same source of anxiety. So it's like, are you going to allow yourself time to learn things well? 
And that's the, that's the ultimate question. Are you going to? Suppose you spend three hours a day and you're going slower than you had thought that uh, you would go. What, is, what are you going to do? Are you going to allow your brain a chance to learn or are you going to say, hey, this is too slow. I can't tolerate this because I have short-term goals and I have to go to a boot camp or whatever, right? I think the master-based learning thing is just, it gives you a chance. It gives everybody a chance. If you're a fast learner, I think then your the choices to move forward are plentiful for you. So our our pitch to fast learners at launch school is you can go through core very fast. We've had people go through core like in like four months, <laughs> the JavaScript track, because you skip two courses there. Super fast. We've also had people go, go through our whole core curriculum in years, over two years. This is what I see. It's insane. And people are different. But at the end of the day, what we say is no matter what, no matter how different you are or how fast or slow you learn, you're going to have a chance. You're going to have a chance. Fast learner, go, you can go through core fast and then you can do capstone if you want. Slow learner, perfect. Mastery-based learning is for you. Thanks, so, but I would say about 15 hours a week, if just to answer your question directly, less than that. It's hard. It's hard to retain information. It's hard to build more knowledge on top of fundamental knowledge because you forget. So I would say at least that probably. And consistency, right? Yeah, consistency. So Matt's asked, how long after a person has been doing core will a person be considered qualified for the deferred payment program and thus for entering the capstone program? You can apply for deferred payment program anytime, even before you start core curriculum. So deferred payment program is just a different way of paying for caps or core, sorry. It's a different way of paying for core, which is deferred, right? That's all it is. Deferred payment program, if you're accepted into it, is not a, it's not a guarantee you're going to accept, be accepted in the capstone, but it's a verification that you're on track and we think you can be success, successful. If you end up, let's say you're accepted into the deferred payment program and you start not doing well in core. I mean, we're going to talk to you. <laughs> you know, Stacey and I will we'll reach out and be like, hey, what's going on? And if you can't do it, then you're not going to be accepted into capstone. So, but the DPP admissions is, is sort of like we're saying we, everything lines up for us as far as we can see. This is all um, mentioned on the deferred payment page, by the way. If there's an FAQ that's, I think, really detailed, if you go there, launchable.com slash deferred. Another question, will this recording be made available? I'm not sure. <laughs> I already have a job in tech. Does that disqualify me for capstone program? No, you have to quit your job in tech to do capstone though. And then I, I think this is a follow-up to a question you answered earlier by on track do you mean mainly the non-technical grades or just technical well we think you're on track you're gonna have to prove it but our hypothesis is that it, it seems good so dpp admissions is quite rigorous because we're, we're sort of on our side we're saying hey look everything checks out and we're, we're gonna work with you and, and um, we're gonna follow up with you and all that so dpp is front loading the admissions process to capstone as long as you don't do anything weird you're gonna be you're gonna be in that's, that's what the DPP process is supposed to be. But I mean, I like we reserve the right. That's all, I think that's all I'm trying to say is like we reserve the right to like change our mind based on your performance. That makes sense, I hope. One thing I wanna really emphasize is like, I hope that you, you understand that everything that we do at Launch School makes sense. It's done with thought, it's done with, articulating the trade-offs that we think about how we think about things and you under, you have to understand the trade-offs you have to understand it's not like everything what we do is not always positive for every scenario it's that it's optimized for this scenario and the more you deviate from this scenario the more you have to think about the trade-offs and how it applies to you that's all so there's a lot of questions about being able to reapply or a few questions about being able to reapply to Capstone if you get rejected the first time. Or there was another question about, I want to join Capstone, but my non-technical grades are better than my technical grades. Will that be a problem? Okay, so first question, reapply to Capstone. I think that happens. That can happen. We've had people do that. And I would say that a lot of times what happens is because you have to wait three months, we have three cohorts a year. So like you have to wait like three months usually if you get, if you don't get admitted. And a lot of times there's like remedial stuff 
to do, right? So we'll say like, oh, okay, we didn't need because of this. So you can retake assessments or you can, you know, do some other thing to make up for it. And a lot of times people won't do that, right? Because they're like, well, I can get a job now. So capstone is not the only path to a job. Like core is great. You're, you're going to be, you're going to be job ready and, and, and come out of core. So a lot of people just end up taking kind of a job out of core, but we will have people that like will follow instructions and guidance and say, well, yeah, I'll wait three months. I'll do these things in that three months, do a good job. And yeah, that's, that's, that's great in my eye. You sort of persistent follow instructions that, that I think deserves, deserve, deserves to be rewarded. So, so yeah, I don't, it's not just like I'm going to reply against like you do the work, right. To, to, to earn that reapplication and, and admission uh, and admits. And then the second question is like, if my non-technical grade is higher than my technical grade, my, is it like, is that reality or are you just saying hypothetically? I mean, if that's, if, if you are in capstone or cord now and that's your situation and you're not sure if you're on track for capstone, just email, email support at entrepreneur.com. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you. One of the things I'll mention this is I, you're not going to get surprised at the end, probably. Like you're, you're going to know early on if you're on track for capstone or not. We notify people very early if we know for sure. Like if we know for sure we can't admit you in a capstone, we'll let you like as early as possible. We've done that lots of times and people sometimes leave and that's okay. But I, I don't, it's the goal isn't to like have you finish core and then like, haha, here's a surprise. Like that's, that's not, that's not what we want at all. That'd be the worst case scenario for us. We want to tell you if we, if we know for sure, we can't admit you for some reason, you think you're on track. That's that we want to tell you early. So Chris, is there a limit to, I'm guessing this is an upper limit to tuition for capstone. Yeah, that's a good question. We haven't had that because I think some other ISAs have that because they take multiple years <laughs> of your salary, which which is which is a lot. We just take one year, so we really haven't run into that issue. We take one year of your base salary. We don't. There's some other ISAs floating around out there that's like very very inclusive. They take your side income, they look at your W twos, what you file your taxes, and they do that for like two years. I think there's some school that take like three, three years. It's just insane. The numbers can get really, really high if you're doing that. We don't do that. We just take one year base salary. We don't look at bonuses, raises, your side income. We don't look at your taxes, right? Just your offer letter base salary. That's it. So we haven't really had a problem of, we have some very high salaries, but even high salaries, we haven't run into like sort of the ceiling. But yeah, I think we can introduce something. I mean, I've, I've been starting to get more questions about that recently actually, but it just, it hasn't been like a big deal historically. Thanks. In some boot camps, they limit the number of times you can take an assessment before being dropped from their program. Is there a limit to the number of retakes and launch school also? Yeah, there is because we don't have a time. So I think some of the things you're talking about in other boot camps or schools, they'll be like, if you, you have a month to take a course, let's say, for example, and then you don't pass and it's like, well, they're dropping the next course and it takes, it takes another month. For us, we're not like that. Just take as long as you want. You can take three months, four months. You can pause your account with us. Literally pause <laughs> payments with us. Go study on your own for a few months, then come back. Does that make sense? So, so there is a limit because usually we say three. You get three shots at one assessment. And here's the reason. Something's wrong if you just, if like, these are not gotcha exams. These are, these are meant to test mastery. And something's wrong if you're, just not hitting the bar that we're asking for, given that you can take, you can dictate when to take the exam. So like either we're not giving you good instructions or, you know, you're not studying the right way. So that's why for us, there is, there is a limit. It's not infinite. <laughs> so yeah, there is a limit for sure. Yeah. But we try to be fair and we try to give you really good feedback after every single one. We give you really good feedback. Yeah. Does launch school work? people who want to freelance or is it just geared for people who want jobs? Launch school is overkill if you want freelance. It's just completely not necessary, not necessary and, and you're, you're, I think you're going to be annoyed. I mean, certainly you're welcome. You're welcome to participate. Anyone's welcome to participate. But if you don't have the goal that we have, then I think a lot of times as we ask you to do things, you'll be like, what, do I really need this? Why? What's the point of this? So yeah, I think, I think for freelancing, launch school is severe overkill, much faster paths there to that. To elaborate on that a bit, or, or just to kind of dive or talk about the deferred payment program in terms of freelancing. 
you want to freelance for payment program in terms of freelancing i don't it's not well, a cap, it's, yeah, exactly. payment program means that we're going to niche into capstone we want you to do capstone or you want to do capstone right capstone yeah you that's not for freelance we don't have any freelancing content we don't talk about freelancing yeah so it's it's not not a good fit what if you finish core but don't do capstone will you be able to find a job <laughs> Yeah, who are you? <laughs> right? How well do you interview? I think one reason why for Capstone, what we're saying is like we think you can get a job because we're gonna we're gonna when we uh, do admissions, we evaluate evaluate you based on those things too because we don't want to take you if we don't think you can get a job for Capstone. So we don't do that for Core. Core anybody can participate in. So can you get a job? I I would say from a technical. Let's just take away everything else, right? But from a technical perspective you're more than ready. You're more than ready to get a job from just a technical perspective, let's say. But what about everything else? And those are important things too. How are you well-spoken? How do you interview? But but yeah, I, I think from a technical training perspective, core is going to, yeah. It, it, it's, 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 core is where the transformation happens, not capstone. And everyone looks at capstone. Cap, capstone is where we can finally show, like capstone is a showcase for core. It's a showcase for what core does. The transformation happens in core. So core is where you can turn into an athlete, whether you're already athletic or you're a little bit out of shape, doesn't matter. You're going to take a little longer, do more exercises. doesn't matter, but you're going to, after core, you're going to be in great shape. Capstone is, is like, we're going to place you on this team kind of thing, right? As a wide receiver or something, sports analogy, but, but it's very specific capstone is but the whole magic happens in core. Is there some type of trial I can do before committing to the program? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a whole free prep program you can do. A lot of people have read and saying our free prep courses are some of the most comprehensive materials they've ever, they've, like courses they've taken. So yes, you should do the free prep courses. And if the whole point there is, and that'll take months, that, that will take weeks and four months. The whole point there is if you, if you didn't like that, or you can't, if you can't finish prep, like that are probably our program is not a good fit. It doesn't mean you can't be a programmer. It doesn't mean law school is bad. It just means it's not a good fit here. And that's okay. You can find another path, another program. But yeah, we have a pretty rigorous free program you can do. Uh, the prep courses, all you have to do is sign up. That's it. Sign up, log in, and you'll, you'll be navigated to the, to the prep courses. There's like several books you have to read. And in fact, I think there's like even some other courses you have to take before our course. In, in, prep. in your opinion, do you think remote type jobs will exist in large numbers after COVID tapers off? Yes, absolutely. I've been remote since 2005. So yeah, the, the, the better you are at this, the more demands you can put on your employer. Does that make sense? <laughs> like you can, you can, people always say like, oh, programming is interesting because high pay, of course, but also you can build your ideas. You can free the hands. You can travel to Asia while working, code from a beach, which I live in Hawaii, but I, I rarely do that. <laughs> um, but I think the key is you have to get good enough to do that. I think a lot of training programs specifically kind of will imply all the positive benefits of being a programmer. Be a programmer in 12 weeks, but where they drive you to is a different place. Got to watch out for that sort of and switch a little bit yeah so but yeah the, the better you get the more demands you can put on your employer you can ask for two monitors ask for the latest hardware ask for a standing desk ask to work remote these are all things that are possible once you're good will we receive a certificate at the end or some form of documentation to provide yeah, to really do that i mean you can you can email us in and and we might i think we'll be able to send you a pdf but yeah, that's not it's not what we do. And then there's another question about, can you talk a little bit about the application assessment process for Capstone? Yeah, Capstone admissions is, we look at your core curriculum assessment performance very, very heavily. Very, very heavily. Also just your professionalism, your exchange, your interactions with our staff, with other students, just how helpful you are, how articulate you are, because Capstone requires communication, verbal, uh, written, super, super important. Uh, your, your communication ability is very important. So yeah, all those things come into play. But assessment performance in core is like number one. Number one.
if you listen to some podcasts, we have, if you go to podcast.logical.com season two, podcast.logical.com season two, uh, you'll see, I, I interviewed a ton of um, capstone people and I try to pick a lot of different profiles. You'll see that there's a, there's a large variance in people's backgrounds that do, that, that do capstone. So it's not just like, oh, you have to be young or, or whatever. There's, there's a large variance there. You know, be good, be awesome. Help, help others, be kind, be generous, take your studying seriously. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll, you'll do great. I heard you mention that people have gone through the JavaScript track in four months. What's the fastest time for the Ruby track? Like six months or something. I mean, there's some people are just wild. <laughs> there's some people that are, I think for right now, for example, we have somebody who I think is a polymath, which which basically is a genius, right? Like, so in our staff, we're just looking at this person going through the course. I'm like, this is too fast. They're they're cheating. So we had a call with her, and so we we're like, either either she's cheating or a genius. It turns out she's a genius. So that happens sometimes. And and yeah, I think she's gonna break records here in, in, in terms of finishing it. So also we've had people like Wall Street folks are kind of wild too. We had a lot of Wall Street people. One person in particular that I remember was said, hey, I have a job that is 50 to 60 hours a week. So that gives me 20 to 30 hours a week to work on Launchable. Do you think I can finish in like six months? I was like, wait a second, that sounds crazy. That You need to quit your job or you need to do something. I, I never heard of that. He goes, no, 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 I've already adjusted my life to account for Launchable. I'm used to working 80 to 100 hours a week. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, if you're used to that, I don't, I don't know. I, I've never worked 100 hours a week in my life. So if that's your work habit, I don't know, maybe you can. And he did. <laughs> he cut down two 50, 60 hours a week at work to put in 20 hours a week at Launchable and finished the curriculum in six months and did really well and launched a startup <laughs> afterwards. So yeah, people are just different. Everyone's different. That's the thing. And if you listen to the podcast with Sasha, I mean, it, it, she's like the opposite end. It didn't, the programming was not natural to her. She didn't really take to it like some of the other stories I've been telling you. It's like the other end of that spectrum. Well, she, again, she landed a six-figure job after Capstone. It took her three years to go through four. <laughs> three years. How many people have that type of persistence? And now her persistence is, is rewarded. So it's, that's why I keep saying, know yourself. If you're, if that you've never had patience for sort of a rigorous learning program, the, the next question is, do you want to develop that habit, that rigor? Do you want to? And, and if you say, well, no, I don't really want to. I just want to like freelance or whatever. Then yeah, no need to force it. <laughs> we don't, you don't have to learn at Launchable. There's plenty of options to learn in the world. But we have a path. We have an opinion. And this is yet but one path. And we, and we get great results out of it. So there's a few more questions about Capstone, whether or not it's, if you're ever going to offer a part-time program. No, no part-time Capstone in the, in the works. And then is there a possibility in the future that you might be able to do Capstone for folks in other time zones? In other time zones. So our Capstone students are all over the world. So they, you just have to fit Capstone time zone. We go from eight to five Pacific time. Yeah, and you have to quit your job. And then for capstone acceptance, do you have to pull your credit report and pass a criminal background check? Yeah, we do that for capstone, yeah, and, and the procurement program. We have a few more questions. Do you think there's a time limit with how long we are, we are in the preparatory phase? No, prep, prep is whatever. And is it possible in this industry to earn six figures, but also work 40 hours a week or even better four days a week? Is that a realistic goal for after capstone or should you expect to put in more time than that? I don't know about four days a week. I think that's kind of non-standard. I think 40. Yeah. I think that's most capstone jobs are, are regular jobs. If that, if that makes sense, they're, they're not like counting hours. I would say that like, it's, I don't, I, I think it's less about like clocking in clocking out. It's more just do the work, but you don't, you're not expected to work like 60 hours a week. So good, good software jobs are good for all the reasons that good jobs are good, right? High pay, good benefits, great colleagues, 
also normal working hours. So it, I think sometimes you hear about these like horror stories or startup stories where people are working, yeah, like 60 hours weeks, 60 hour weeks. I think that's non-standard. I think most employers will want you to be a little bit flexible in that if there's a crunch time, you might be able to put in more time. I think you're right. And likewise, if you have a personal emergency, I don't think anybody will you know, care if you work 20 or 30 hours a week for a week. And so I think it's just that type of relationship where like you're flexible for your employer, your employer is flexible for you. But yeah, I think it's normal to expect 40 hours a week, 40, 45 hours a week, maybe, I don't know. But I think the four, four day work, four day work week is non-standard. That's, that's super rare. So last question, do you have any corporate clients that recruit from launch school? And maybe the question's more about, I, I don't want to assume, but maybe talk about the hiring process post capstone. Yeah. So I have employers reach out all the time. We, we, we don't do placement for capstone just because we don't need to. So capstone people, and they're picky, frankly, capstone, capstone graduates are like super picky. It's like, I have, I have job leads. I'm just like, well, I wanted something better. Like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. So uh, a lot of times I feel like the capsule graduates are ambitious and they're kind of like aiming quite high a lot of times. So yeah. So placement hasn't been a strong story for us from that perspective, but so we, we don't have a problem of like people getting jobs. So we, we don't, we don't really have like the need to build partnerships with corporations to place caps on people. Man, that's a lot of questions. I'm so tired. Man, we still got to talk about salary. I'm not a U.S. citizen. What program? You can do the core curriculum. So we won't be able to work with you in the deferred payment program, but you can do the core core curriculum. What 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 country are you in, or what? Maybe we can follow up later there. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna share some salary numbers here. Give me a sec. Okay, okay. So 2020, and feel free to I'm I'm gonna keep the chat box open. So if you are going to if you want to react to whatever I'm saying or drop some notes or ask questions, I'll just I'll try to keep a keep an eye over there. So 2020, year of uncertainty, right? That was a that was a pretty crazy year for everybody. COVID, which resulted in all tech jobs going remote, even layoffs. So especially these these companies that are focused on like physical events, selling tickets or organizing physical events, a lot of layoffs in that domain. Eventbrite, for example, I think famously had uh, or infamously had uh, like a thousand person layoff. Not all engineering, but definitely some engineers. And just an emotional toll and drain. So of course, coming when it was happening, right, around March, April last year, I basically told our capstone people, I'm like, you got to expect, expect salaries to decrease. I don't know what's going on, but with, with, with the remote, with the layoffs, it, it's, it's going to go down. So just be prepared for that. And everyone's pretty understanding this is macro economic factors. This is not related to launch core or what we're doing. It's just, we're subject to, to, to macro factors as well. This is a fall cohort. This is just, this is the message I just sent to the fall cohorts just last month that when they finished. So the fall cohort does their drop on in January. And so the last person finished in April. And so I calculated some numbers for them. 82% remote for the fall 2020 cohort, which is, which is amazing. And 115 average, which is pretty good when it's 82% remote. And we have hundred percent hiring rate. So, and this is just us. We have some Canadian folks in a fall cohort, which I didn't include. The 2020 averages look like this for us. This is not just a fall cohort. This is all three cohorts. Our average actually went up. So the average is here, all United States, 118. So 2019, our average was 115, right? And then the number of participants also increased. So we, I think we had like over 30, if you count all the international capstone participants. So most are in the US, but we've had a seven or so, I think, international capstone participants. So that doubled our capstone size. I think the year prior to the 19, I think we had like 17 participants or something like that. So we, we nearly doubled in size in terms of participation and our salary went up, which was kind of surprising to me. This is a big thing. The remote salary went up. 2019 was 102. Now it's 113 for remote. The rest, the other three, New York, San Francisco, and other cities, other cities also went up, but the other two kind of also went up a little bit, or but relatively stable. And then of course, our this is I think the, the main thing that is shocking, I think, to everybody is that we're able to place everybody on average within nine or ten weeks. 
if you look at any other placement numbers, uh, they're all measured in six months, six months, half a year. That's like 26 weeks. And they'll say something like 85%. This is like the, the best coding schools will be like 85% of our graduates get a job within six months. So we're at hundred percent with an average of nine weeks. So it, th this is, this to me shows the power of our core curriculum. And yeah, I, I think if there's a criticism here, you can say, well, this, this doesn't include core. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it doesn't include core. That's right. So our input here is into capstone is much, much higher caliber, I think, than your typical coding bootcamp. But that's why we see the good numbers. There's no magic here. We're not doing anything magical. We just have a process, I think, that's more transparent and clear. It makes sense. U.S. salaries, this is over the last five years. You can see that it's, you know, it's, it's around what we expect now, 118. And again, I was expecting this to go down because of what a terrible year 2020 was. Just doesn't, I just didn't know how much it would go down by. But to my surprise, it actually went up a little bit which was very good. Remote salaries, this is our historical remote salaries over the past four years. In 2016, we didn't do any remote. And also the number of participants has been increasing dramatically. So I, I don't see any reason for this trend to reverse. In other words, for 2021, I think, I, I think half at least are gonna be remote participants, maybe more. And I, I think this number will Will still be pretty high. We'll see. So the 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 spring cohort is actually going to hit the market in uh, three weeks or four weeks, and we will we will see how that goes. But I I don't see anything in the market that tells me we're going to you know go in an opposite direction or a different direction. San Francisco salaries, San Francisco Bay Area salaries, yeah, they're good, <laughs> around one twenty, a little bit lower than our New York salaries, but it's still it's still pretty good. New York salaries, this is just, you know, kind of wild, right? 133. New York is a really, really great, really, really hot market, continues to be. I will say this. So this is something that threw off our numbers a little bit. Same thing with uh, San Francisco is that we had some people in New York and San Francisco who got remote jobs. And so their numbers contributed to remote salaries, even though they are residents of, let's say, New York City, but the job they got was uh, a remote job. So I put their number here and I did not include it here. So... It, 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 with remote salaries, it kind of makes the location separation a little bit um, harder to decipher. So the numbers that you see here are like New York City companies hiring New York City capstone grads. So both of those have to be there for, for, the, for it to make the discharge. And same thing with the Bay Area. So really good. Other cities, just kind of like cities in the U.S. are not New York City or San Francisco. And... The, this is a nice little jump here. Again, not expected from my perspective, but good to see. So salaries are just increasing across across the board. And I just want to maybe point out how interesting it is. If you ever go on Twitter or go online, just a lot of people complaining about how they can't find jobs, but then salaries keep increasing from, from what I can see. Like, why is that? Why is that? Well, the reason is because there, there's a lack, a dearth of like, good engineers. There's too many people out there right now who read a book, did a three-month bootcamp, and think that's it. Nobody says that a three-month bootcamp is the ticket, except for the bootcamp itself. So it, 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 there's such a high insatiable demand for qualified engineers right now. But at the same time, there's so many people running around out there that, I don't know, get caught up in the marketing or something and 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 can't get a job because they can't meet this bar at the salary. So my advice is don't jump in that pool. Don't jump into the pool where it's everyone's at, everyone learning to code is like kind of over there, very crowded, very busy. Instead, try to cross that chasm, find a way, somehow find a way. Launch school is one way, I think, but there are other ways too, but find a way and you'll get to these types of salaries. Worldwide, so those of you who are not in the uh, US, this might be interesting. This is Capstone. This is Capstone. So Canada, Canadian salary, and this is a USD, by the way. So it's funny, I was talking to a Capstone student about, uh, a Canadian student about Capstone, and I was quoting numbers in USD. And she was asking me, like, what is the average uh, salary for a Capstone participant in Canada? And I was like, I think it was, we only had this, these numbers at that time. So I was like, oh, it's about 60. 
She's like, oh, it's kind of low, but that's okay. And I was like, oh, wait, that's USD. <laughs> so it's actually like 80 Canadian, right? She's like, oh, okay, that's great. So this cohort actually was like 100 Canadian, over 100 Canadian, right? 80 USD, which is amazing, which is absolutely, absolutely amazing. And the UK is even higher. And I want to just point this out. I think the UK numbers are not right. I actually expect it to go down. And the reason why, so we had three people participate in Capstone from UK last year, and two of them went to like the top university in, in London, in Britain. So I, I don't, I think that's the best skews the salaries. So I, I don't want to set this as like a expectation, right? Unless you also went to that university. But so I do expect this, if we have more UK participants in the future, I do this, expect this to come down a little bit in the future. But you can see that it is much lower than U.S. salaries. And this is why tech companies are eyeballing Canada and UK, London, because they're able to get the same engineer for much cheaper. Instead of 120, they pay 80. That's a pretty big difference for them. So I think if you're in Canada, you're in a great spot because you're willing to work less and, and, and tech companies are, are, are investing. In and so conclusion, doubled in size, COVID, remote salaries, we nonetheless have increases across the board. We're going to have capstone doubling size again in 2021. And I'll report numbers a year from now for 2021. I'll let you know how that goes. So 2020 was a bad year for life, but a great year for law school in terms of results. And I think to me, it's proof that mastery-based learning yields dividends, yields great dividends in the long run. Slow is better in the long run. We've been saying that. We have proof of that now, finally. And I think we can say this now, Launch School is the best. Launch School is the best. I've been hesitant to say that, the engineer in me always had to qualify things, but I think for very many like, important definitions of the word best, whatever, whatever you, however you want to define it. Maybe not for every definition, but for, for very important definitions of that word when it comes to coding schools, we're there. We can claim that. So our results are posted on launchschool.com slash results. Yeah, and feel free to reach out. You can reach out to us at hello at launchable.com or support at launchable.com. It's the same email address. And I, I, I monitor, that, monitor that a lot. So if you want to reach me, that's probably the best way. Cool. Okay. I guess that's it. All right. Thanks, everyone. Great. Thanks, Chris. Have a good day. Bye.